16, Revelation chapter 16. It's been a few weeks since we have been in Revelation. And I was marveling the fact that we are at the, the 16th chapter. There we go. And the title tonight, as you can see there, actually comes from the command given in Revelation chapter 16 in verse 1 that actually initiates what we call the seven bowls of God's wrath, seven vials of the of the wrath of of God. And just to remind you, if you've not been with us before, or you've forgotten about the outline of of Revelation. Revelation has three basic parts. John, the revelator, was um, faced persecution and was exiled to the Isle of, of Patmos, which is in the middle of the, the Mediterranean Sea. And there he receives the vision of, the, of Revelation around 90 A.D., so about 60 years or so, a little less than 60 years from when the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose uh, from, the, from the dead. And he was commanded to write the things that, that are, the things that, that, that he, he hears. And that is uh, chapter 1 through the end of chapter 3, and that's what we call the letters to the seven churches of, of Revelation. And so seven specific churches that were there um, uh, after Jesus raises from the dead and the apostles have have taken the gospel exactly like uh, Jesus commanded. And and they started in Jerusalem and then uh, uh, Samaria and Judea. And then they went to the uttermost parts of the earth and it spread throughout the, the Roman Empire. And that's continuing on. The book of Acts doesn't end it, it's still it's still happening. And so the Apostle Paul's not dead. And so the gospel continues. And here is an evidence of that. Seven churches that were not that are not in Jerusalem. They're not in Judea. They're not in Samaria. They're in what's called the uttermost parts of the earth. They're in the Gentile regions and obviously goes beyond that. Then he's he's told to write about the things that shall take place after this is the future, chapter four, through the end of chapter uh, or the beginning of chapter twenty-two, I, I should say, and that's where we're at in chapter sixteen. We still have a number of chapters to go, and then what we're all looking forward to, he's to write about the things that are new, the things that that are coming even 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 after. Uh, the seven churches, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and, and, and the new earth. And and so in Revelation chapter one, God shows um, John a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in in chapter in chapter one. And then you can learn a lot from that. You you don't see uh, John uh, high fiving Jesus or getting up on his lap or. Or, or speaking to him in irreverent tones, he falls flat on his face as, as if he was dead. And you see the vision of Jesus Christ. And, and then there are the message to the seven churches in chapter 2 through 3. And then we saw the throne room and the transfer of the title deed. There's none worthy 
and uh, and yet there is one worthy. It's the Lamb who is slain, and that's in chapter four and five. And then Jesus, after he takes that title deed, he begins to unfurl the scroll. He begins to break the seals. And so there's the breaking of the seven seals, and and, and they break it. And, and as Jesus breaks it, something takes place, and it un, and, and the scroll is unfurled a little bit more, and then another one is broken, and a little bit more. And, and the more that it opens, the more that happens, and the more that Jesus is able to read and declare what is going to take place on the on, on the earth. And so in chapter six through eight, there's the breaking of the seven seals, and then. And then at the very end, there's seven trumpets that are that sound at the end of the seventh seal. So at the end of the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets that announce something. And we looked at all of all of, all of those not very good things that are happening uh, that's happening in the in the seventh trumpet that's located in the seventh seal. And in chapter 12, there was the war in heaven between the woman, the child, and the dragon. And chapter 13 shows us details of what happens in the second half of the tribulation period about the rise of the Antichrist and, and who has governmental authority and his apostate church and how, how he's going to deceive the world's population. Chapter 14 proclaims the victory that's coming. It's not in chronological order. It's a, it's, a, it's a prophetic declaration. The Lamb will, will triumph in, in judgment. So there's a bunch of future proclamations, hope-building promises that have not taken place but will take place very, very soon. That's in chapter 14. And then the last time we were together in Revelation, it was Revelation 15, where John sees a final vision of seven great angels. And they're holding seven bowls of... Of, of judgments. And tonight we're going to look at those judgments in Revelation 16. Now, chapter 15 is very short. We said it's like a trailer for an upcoming horror movie, only this is no movie. This is the real thing. This is the just wrath of Almighty God poured out on the earth in the, in the, in the very final days of tribulation. And that is found in Revelation 16. So let's read. And then we'll we'll dig into it. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls or saucers or vials. And these are filled with the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. And then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood and I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel 
poured out his bowl upon the sun. And it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the river, the Euphrates, and its water dried up so that the the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which, which go out to the kings of the whole world. To gather them together for the war of the great day, the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gather them together to the place in the Hebrew is called Harmageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the earth and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. Because its plague was extremely severe. Now we just did something that God promises will bring blessing. We, we heard the words of Revelation. We read it together. So if you don't pay attention to anything else, you've already been blessed by coming tonight. But this is worthy of our attention, isn't it? It's arresting when you actually think about it. It's full of symbolism. So you see these angels pouring out things on the sun, on the ocean. And, and that's just symbolic for, for how God is, is, going to, is going to judge. These are actual judgments, real judgments that are going to happen in real, in real places. And it's, it's described as an angel pouring out. But it's, it's God actually bringing these judges. Each vial or each bowl is introduced and then described one after the other. And they come in rapid fire without relief. And each bowl gets stronger and stronger until the seventh one finishes the wrath. The sixth one, all of the earth, all the kings of the earth, everyone is gathered. They're deceived by by demonic spirits and they gather to what we call Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon. And then in the seventh, there is there's a a great earthquake and and hailstones. And then and then it's all going to end whenever Jesus comes in Revelation 19. That's when the battle is going to be over. And these are the final plagues that are called forth from the seventh trumpet. And they conclude the seventh seal from the scroll that Jesus is opening. 
And at the end of these plagues, the lamb will be able to read the full scroll and declare the future of the earth. And that's the that's what we're looking forward to. Right. The new heaven and the new earth and new Jerusalem. That's what he's going to declare. But but this has to take place first. Now, I think it's it's worthy of of reminding ourselves that any time we talk about the judgment of God, there should be there needs to be a humble thankfulness in the hearts of of, of believers. Um, there definitely is no pride as you as you read this, because, you know, that it's only by grace that we're saved from, you know, from this day. And so I just think there should be a twin attitude rising up in in my heart and in your heart. And you're going back and forth between these these twin attitudes, one of thankfulness for God's mercy. I am so thankful, Lord, that I'm not going to be here and you're not going to be here on that day. Thankful for God's mercy. He's opened your eyes like Mark 10 this morning and in your heart going from there over to grief for other people that that refuse to repent. And now they must face the flood of of judgment. Um, how are you going? What you'll see through this entire scene is besides the the judgments that are being poured out, you're going to see why the judgment is just. It's emphasized. You may have heard it over and over. Revelation 16 not only emphasizes the judgment, but it emphasizes the justice of the of the judgment. The judgment is just. And the judgment will be so bad that the Lord himself tells us he is just in pouring it out. He makes that declaration. So we won't forget that. And so whoever's reading this later will not forget that. At least one of the angels declares God is just and heaven declares God is just. And that and, and why mankind deserves this punishment. Look if you would at chapter I mean at verse five. It says, and the and I heard an angel. So here's the third angel in verse four. He pours out the bowl into the rivers and the springs of the waters, and they became blood. There's the judgment. It could have ended right there, but it doesn't. And I heard the angel. So now he's not just pouring out; he's speaking. The angel of the waters, the one that brings this judgment, and he says, "Righteous are you, who are, and who were, O holy one." Because you judge these things. Righteous are you because you judge these things. You see the declaration? And he explains why in verse 6. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. It's retribution. It's punishment. You are righteous for doing this. And why? Because they persecuted, poured out the blood of the of the saints, and therefore you have given them blood to drink. You've given them this judgment. They deserve it, is the way the New American Standard puts it. And then heaven echoes exactly what the angel says, confirms it. It's like Jesus saying, Amen, Amen, or verily, verily. It's, it, heaven echoes what the angel declares. And I heard the altar saying, the altar's personified, I heard the altar saying, yes. O oh Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. These judgments are so bad that God himself and heaven declares that he's just in, in what he's doing. At least once an angel declares it. And at least four times in Revelation 16, the reaction of mankind is recorded amidst the action of God. So mankind, how does man respond to the judgments? At least four times. What goes on in their hearts 
is declared. So you don't just have the judgments going on. You have the declaration of God being just and the explanation of why God's just. So you have man acts. He rejects God all of his life. God acts. He pours out the judgment. And then man reacts at least four times. And starts to reveal something about both God and man. Look, if you would, at verse at verse 6. We saw that. For they poured out the blood of the saints. Look, if you would, at verse 9. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over the plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Now, remember, any time the Bible repeats something, it's purposeful. And so this is repeated again. Look, if you would, at verse 11, at the fifth bowl. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their swords. And they did not repent of their deeds. And look at the final capstone at the very end. Now think about this. This is the wrath of Almighty God. This is what the, the everything and the judgment of the Lord has, has been being talked about in the Old and New Testament. I mean, this is it in chapter Revelation chapter 16. And the last thing that's said is this in verse 21. And huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because the plague was severe. The capstone, the final exclamation point on the judgment is the, the evilness that's still resident in men's hearts. It reveals something about God and it reveals something about man. It, God's character is one of pure holiness. He is a loving God. But don't let anyone ever convince you that he's going to overlook sin. He takes no pleasure in the death of the what? Of the wicked. Now think about that. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. <laughs> they're wicked. He tells us where they're wicked. We're wicked. He takes no pleasure in that. But when God reveals himself in Exodus 34, he says he will not leave the guilty unpunished. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the death of the wicked is coming. And right here it is. So it reveals something about God's character. He's pure holiness. He's just. That's what this is. This is justice. Everybody wants justice. Everybody's a victim today. And everybody wants justice. And the only true real victim was the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here... The lamb's wrath comes upon the earth. And so it reveals something about God. It also reveals something about man. Man is corrupted and he's polluted with evil. It's polluted. There's no way to, to get rid of the, the indelible stain. There's, there's no way to, to wash it away. There's no amount of good works that, that you can do. Prayer or, or, or religious thoughts. There's no way to get rid of it. Unless God washes it clean and washes it away. Your, your, skin, uh, your, your sins were as scarlet and they become white as snow. The leopard can't change his spots, but, but God can change the, the leopard. That's, that's reinforced over and over and over in, in the Bible. You must be born again. You cannot see. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. I mean, that, that's something that has to take place. Because man is, is polluted with evil. Man is so depraved that he will not even repent under just judgment. And that's what 
chapter 16 says and, and why you find that capstone in verse 24. Even at the very end of the judgment, after all the vials are poured out, men blasphemed God. It's one of the ultimate evidences. Revelation 16 is one of the ultimate evidences of, that reveal the wickedness of the human heart. Even in just judgment, mankind blames God for his own fate. Whose fault is this? It's man's fault. It's not God's fault. And man has rejected God from the beginning to the end. He rejected God in creation. I mean, think about this in the Bible. There's a lot of, lot of themes, lots of things going on in the Bible. It's ultimately uh, his revelation, the story of redemption. But man has rejected God from, from the beginning. He rejected God in creation. Man continually rejected God after that in common grace. The sun rises on the just and it also rises on, and, and the rain falls on the what? The unjust. So, I mean, there's just, there's unjust. And, and the common grace and the unjust is, is rejecting. What does, what does uh, Romans 1 tell us about the unbelieving heart? It, it, it refuses to give thanks to God. If, there, if there's anybody that ought to be thankful people, it's Christians. We can give thanks. We give thanks to God because we know God. And unbelievers don't. They're not thankful. They reject God even in the common grace. And, and then they reject God in the gospel. And now they reject him even in the judgment at the very end. And the same heart that blames God, the same heart that blamed God in creation, it's the woman that you gave me. It's the, it's the, it was the serpent. The same, God that, the same heart that rejects grace in the gospel now in judgment blames God. What's the point? Fear of judgment or even judgment itself will not turn a person. Only God can open the heart. Uh, John Walver also points out, besides the justice of the judgment and the, what it reveals about the human heart, Walver said that, that you could also call Revelation 16 the, the great chapter because great is repeated over and over and over and over. There's the, the great voice in verse, in verse 1 and... There's the great heat in verse 9. There's a great river in verse 12. There's the great day of God in verse 14. The great earthquake in verse 19. Great city in verse 19. Great Babylon. Babylon the great. Great hail in verse 21. Exceedingly great plague. And you say, John, you needed a thesaurus. Well, I mean, think about how difficult it would be to describe what you're, what you're seeing here. Um, let's see what God says here about the, the bowls. God pours out seven vials of, of wrath. And the outline is, is very simple. It'll be the first bowl and the second bowl and the third bowl, and then we'll go through the, they'll go through the seventh, because that's exactly how it lays out here. I got that. You got that. You won't even have to write it down, will you? Verse 1, John says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple. So everything's being directed from heaven. And it's being, it's being directed to the angels who are ministering spirits of God. And they're to pour out on the earth. This all begins with a command. Go and pour out as a command. And the scene is the seven final judgments. There are seven seals. Seven seals contain seven trumpets. Seven trumpet blasts call for seven bowls or vials of judgment. And then the second coming of Christ arrives after the, the seventh bowl is, is, is complete. Chapter 17 and 18 kind of goes on a little excursus and, and describes how Babylon's going to fall and what's going to take place. And then chapter 19 brings us back to 
to where chapter 16 ends. That's, that's the coming of, of the Lord. So 15 is the vision. The six, chapter 16 is the bowls. Chapter 19 is the coming of Christ. And while the, the trumpet blasts were part, uh, where, where judgments poured out on part of the earth, the significance about the, the bowls, which is, 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 like, a, is like a saucer, it's a, it's a very shallow pan. And the significance is it's poured out on all of the earth. It's not just a part of the earth. The trumpet blasts pour out horrible things, but it's on a part of the earth. This is on, this is on the whole earth, and they're also more intense. They happen in rapid fire. They roll like waves. When one's absorbed, another one's right behind it. So don't think there's one, and then they get an opportunity to, to kind of settle into that, and then another one comes. They just come, one after the other. And the first bowl is is an affliction of of open sores. Verse two. So the first angel went forth and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped the image. Now, this this first bowl is an affliction, and it's a it's an affliction of open sores. It's it's the same word used to describe the boils. They were on the Egyptians and and the first bowl and the second bowl mirror the the plagues in Egypt. So the plague falls on on those who have the mark of the beast, just like the plague falls on the Egyptians and the and the plague doesn't fall on the children of Israel. So whoever is alive, the church is going to be gone. But whatever believers are, are alive right now, the ones that have not taken the mark of the beast will be spared from from this from these sores that that are coming. And, and, and the word for sore is, is like an ulcer, which is malignant. It, it keeps it keeps growing. It's like a flesh eating bacteria. It, it's horrible. And those who worship the image of the beast will will be struck with with this judgment. The second one is found in verse three. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. I mean, declarative, definitive. This is this is not a little bit. This is this is this is everything. The second vial that follows is poured out on the sea, and the result is every living thing in the sea dies. Now, again, you have an echo of the Egypt. the The Nile is is turned to blood, and now the entire oceans and seas of the world. Are turned to blood. Now I just returned from the from the beach, and uh, my family got a few extra days uh, in. But uh, but any days at the beach is good is better than no days at the beach. And I just returned, and while we were there, um, we we were talking. We were sitting there. You, know, you take a, a, a lounge chair, and and you kind of go and you you sit there. And I I typically take a book. And I read a book, uh, and this time it was a church history book. Uh, last year it was a missionary book. And uh, we were sitting there, and everybody kind of sits there. They're reading. The kids are playing or otherwise. And, and, uh, and we remarked about, I just looked, and there's this, this is all these people on the beach, and they're sitting in lounge chairs. And I just had this crazy thought. This, this is kind of weird, you know? I mean, we're all, we've all driven here from another state. We're living in somebody else's house that we paid to live in. And we all take our chairs and we go sit at the water and we watch it. I mean, that's, that's kind of weird when you think about it. But that's what we do. And we enjoy doing that. And, and we just, we'll sit there all day long. And, 
And people will drive, even that live there. We, there, we go to the public beach access. It's the way you, you, you get down to the beach. People that live there drive and they park and they go down and they do the same thing. They'll, they'll set up a tent and they'll bring food and they'll just, they'll just sit by the water all day. And I mean, why? Why do so many people go to the ocean and just sit there and look at it? It's because, I believe, it bears the fingerprint of God like few other things in creation. It's a mass that your eyes cannot see beyond. You ever stood and looked? I mean, as far as this, it just, it just, it disappears in the curve, in the horizon. It disappears in the horizon. It's a mass that your eyes can't see beyond, and your mind can't measure it. You ever tried to measure it? You ever tried to take it all in? You can't take it all in. It's one of the masterpieces of creation. It's, it's salty for purity purposes, keep from, from becoming stagnant. It constantly moves, which scrubs it. And the, the sand that, that you like to put your toes in and build sandcastles out of were actually the, the shells and the coral and the rocks that were repurposed from the crushing and the surf. And they now act like a filter for the waves. The waves come in and the sand filters it. It's a masterpiece. And all, of course, this just happened by, by chance over millions and millions of years. There's no design to that whatsoever. Isn't that foolish? Those are those, that's spiritual eyes that you're able to see that. It's spiritual blindness that people can't. And the tides, they ebb and flow. There was a little board that was there on the lifeguard stand that says when high tide is and when low tide is. The tides ebb and flow with the gravitational pull of the moon, causing it to rise and to fall, causing the ocean to churn and to come in and to wash. And the scrub, the sea is the only is one of the only things large enough to hold a sunset and reflect its beauty. Isn't it amazing? You stood there and watched it, and then and then I mean this this massive ball of fire that that that's that's full of perfection in and of itself. You watch it, and it just it just disappears, and the sea just lights up. The sea bears the fingerprint of God like few other things in creation. And the third angel poured out his bowl. I'm sorry, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And that sea that I just described became like blood, like, like the blood of a dead man. MacArthur said the sea and all the oceans of the earth will become thick, dark, and coagulated like the blood of a dead body. And billions of decaying sea creatures will wash up where that beautiful sand was and will fill the nostrils with stench. Isn't that a picture? Look at the third bowl. Verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. The third vial extends beyond salt water to fresh water as well, the rivers and the fountains. And it's the drinking water will be polluted. And that will be important because of the fourth bowl that we'll see in a minute when the sun begins to heat up. So there's going to be a drought. And there's going to be no relief from the water, no relief from the sea, no relief from the drinking water. The rivers and the fountains will also become polluted like like blood. 
And this judgment is tied specifically to the shedding of the blood of the saints. And we looked at that. Verse 5, And I heard an angel of the waters, the one that, that does this to the waters at God's command, Righteous are you who are and who were a holy one, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. And so during the tribulation period and, and, and times prior, there will be a, there's a period of persecution during tribulation of the followers of Christ like, like no other on the earth. We, we're, we're in church history, and we're just about coming up on Constantine, and we have just came through the, the era of persecution. And horrible, reading horrible stories of what, what happened for, for the martyrs in 100, 200 A.D. It's going to be nothing like it's going to be in this day. And those that follow Jesus will pay with their very lives, and their blood is spilled, and God gives the wicked blood to drink. And it says they deserve it. And God is righteous and holy, and he repays or punishes. And the punishment fits the crime. I mean, that's the point. The, fun, the punishment, God's punishment always fits the, fits the crime. So everybody, everybody wants justice. They just don't want it for themselves, right? Everybody wants mercy for me. And just to make sure that you understand, it specifically says they deserve it in in verse, in verse 6, they're worthy of it. You're, you're, that's what the word means. They're worthy of it. And as I said, don't ever think God will wink at sin and blasphemy forever. He's appointed a day in which he'll judge. And he'll give every man and woman what he deserves. And this judgment means their water system will be polluted and will be unfit to consume. And so here's the fourth bowl. Verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed. So this fourth vial impacts the sun, and it's not going to be darkened like the trumpets. When the trumpet judgment, it's going to be darkened. This time, the, the sun's going to be increased to the point that it, that it scorches and it's going, going to be a horrible time. And this is the first time that, that mankind's response is, is recorded. In verse 9, And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent or give Him glory. It says four things about them. They blasphemed the name of God. And, and it was the name of God, who God is, all that God is. And they knew that he had power over the plagues. And it says they did not repent and they did not give him glory. Now, notice they knew exactly where the judgment was coming from. And they knew exactly that this God has the power to bring it. I mean, that's what it says. They blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. They, they knew that's pretty stupid, isn't it? I mean, you're going to blaspheme the one that's actually bringing this. He has the ability to, to bring this. And they still blasphemed. And they... They did not, they did not repent. Divine judgment, when inflicted, does not bring men to repentance. It only increases their blasphemy. And don't think judgment's going to make men any better. Don't think it's going to purge their sins. Don't think that judgment is going to purge sins. That's what happens to a believer. That's the difference between chastisement and judgment, right? When chastisement comes on a believer, it chastens us. It 
It, it convicts us. It's, it's God's fatherly discipline. And that discipline is unto our repentance. It's to change us. That's what happens to believers. But that's not what happens with, with, with unbelievers. Judgment doesn't purge men of their, of their depravity. That's Catholic. Penance, purgatory, purgatory, deprivations. That's an unbiblical notion. That doesn't make your heart any better. In fact, to the extent that, that you become an ascetic, you're like a monk, you eat paste and you chant and you buffet your body, that, that doesn't change the heart. In fact, it can, it can strengthen the flesh. And that's what Colossians warns against. Taste not, touch not, handle not, new moons, forbidding in marriages, no amount of pain, no amount of judgment or deprivation will change the heart. It's stained to the core. I mean, you understand that hell is not going to make people better. It's going to make them worse. And you say, how can that be? Well, why would hell change the human heart? What's hell going to do to the human heart? If the human heart has, if God has to change it, then why would it get any better whenever it's in eternal torment? The perfect, uh, best illustration of that is in Luke 16. So I want you to turn back to Luke 16. And you know exactly where I'm going. It's the parable of the rich man and the Lazarus for the story. I think you could argue this is a story because a man's named. And we talked about how significant it is that a person's named. This is the only story that's, that's, that some people call a parable where someone is not is not named, and the rich man is not named, but Lazarus is. And here's the story, you know the story, it's the story of a rich man and Lazarus, and I think it's empirical evidence, it's evidence right from the text that hell doesn't reform people. And as I said, I, I, you know, we, it, we, we shouldn't think that it does. A depraved heart's not going to improve when it's separated from God. Think about what the Bible says is going to happen on the earth Whenever the Holy Spirit is removed and when the church is removed and the church is salt and light. And, and that helps restrain the heart. It doesn't change the heart, but it helps restrain the wickedness from, from going everywhere. And the world's going to go haywire. The less witness, the less word, the worse the world's going to get. Well, where does that worse come from? It comes from within their hearts. It, it's just because somebody's totally depraved, it doesn't mean that it, it's coming out as much as it, as, as it possibly can. But, but the seeds are, are, are there. And here's a rich man and a poor man, and they're contrasted in verse 19. And you know the story. The poor man dies, and the rich man does too. But where they end up is the opposite of each other. And it's also the opposite of what the Pharisees expected. Because the poor man's in their minds under the judgment of God. The rich man's is, is under the blessing of, of God. And so they die. Verse 22, the poor man died. He's carried away by the angels in Abraham's bosom. It's just... He's, he's carried away where Abraham is. Abraham's the father of faith. So he's in heaven. He's, he's, he's in the, uh, the abode of, of where the righteous go, those who trust God by faith. And the rich man died, and he was buried. And in verse 23, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Now, here's a man in hell. And he's a fully functioning mind. And the torments that, that are there, he, he understands there's darkness, there's fire, there's weeping, there's wailing, there's gnashing of teeth, and, and it's a conscience experience. It's, you don't, there's no, you go out of existence. So here is what happens. No soul sleep, absent from the body, present with the Lord, where other saints are at, or in, in hell. And verse 24, 
Here's what the man says when he, when he lifts up his eyes in, in, in torment. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. The merciless one now wants mercy. <laughs> the one who would give no mercy now wants mercy. And he requests what he would never willingly give Lazarus. And I want you to notice that he asked to be served by Lazarus. Send Lazarus. Have mercy and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I'm agony in this, in this flame. I mean, one commentator said this man is so ingrained with the idea that he is superior to Lazarus that even though he's in hell and Lazarus is in heaven, he thinks Lazarus is still his servant. Send Lazarus to go do this for me. There's no repentance. The man doesn't repent. There's no remorse that, that's seen here. There's no seeking of forgiveness. There's no humility. He just wants out of the pain. And, and hell doesn't fix you. It confirms you. And there's more. Not only does he, he still see Lazarus. He doesn't do any of the good things. He still sees Lazarus. He asks Lazarus to serve him. But you know, Abraham says that can't happen. That's not possible. There's a great gulf. There's a great separation. And look at verse 27 because the man starts speaking again. So he asks Abraham a question. Abraham says no. And so the man asks, uh, uh, makes a second request. And he says, then I beg you, Father, that you send him, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that they may warn them that they will not also come to this place of, uh, of torment. And if there's any place in this passage that you could give the guy some credit, I think it's, you know, it's it's right here. You could re remotely attribute something good to, to this man. He he seems to show concerns for for his brothers. But if you look at a little closer, it's not as honorable as it, as it may look on the on the surface. Notice he's still viewing Lazarus as his servant. But worse, he's implying that God didn't give sufficient warning to avoid hell. You see what he says here? I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of, of torment. You say, well, I mean, I can see what you're saying, but I can also see that he's just concerned about, he's just concerned about, about his, his, his brothers. Well, if it's not clear there, it's, it's clear in this next statement. Look at verse 29. Look at how Abraham answers. But they have Moses. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the Bible. And look at what the man says in verse 30. No, nay, Father Abraham. No, the Bible is not enough. That's what he's saying. God's testimony is not enough. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Is that true? No, that's not true. 
We know that's not true because that's exactly what happens to Jesus. And look at what Abraham says. But he said to him, if they do not hear, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they'll not hear the testimony of the word of God, they will not be persuaded even when someone rises from the dead. This man says, no, it's not enough. The word and the witness of God is not enough. Now he's implying that he wasn't given sufficient warning by God. It's it's God's fault. It's not enough. It wasn't enough for me, and it's not enough for them. We need more witness. We need more signs, more wonders. And then they'll believe. And here you have the judgments in Revelation. And you can turn back there. Revelation 16. The just judgments. And these men are blaspheming God in verse 9. The one that they know is pouring it out who has the power... And they did not repent and they did not give him glory. They refused to do that. And unbelievers then and unbelievers in hell will blame God and they'll blaspheme him. They won't get better. And no amount of signs will not be enough. However, when God changes the heart and the heart is new and there's new desires and new abilities and new capacities and all things are new, that heart doesn't blaspheme whenever chastisement comes. It rejoices and it understands. So let's look at this fifth bowl. It's probably the last one that we'll cover. We could get through all of this, but it's, it's, frankly, it's heavy. And so it's worthy to be broken up. Look at verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. There is a there is a repetition here. It's repeated. So the fifth vial is directed at the beast and the subjects of his kingdom. It's in the symbolism. It's, it's poured out on the throne of the beast, his authority, his seat, and his kingdom. Those who are part of the beast's kingdom. These are unbelievers that are following after Satan. And they gnawed their tongues in, in pain. And the result is darkness and pain and multiplication of the sores that comes from the first judgment. And it's one thing to be afflicted. It's another thing to be afflicted for a really long time with, with no relief. I can deal with pain for a short period of time. And men, I hate to tell you this, but but women can typically deal with pain a whole lot better than we can, and the evidence of that is childbirth. We would be a bunch of sissies. It's one thing to be in pain, but it's another thing to be in pain for a really long time. And there are people that are in chronic pain, and they're afflicted for a really long time. And here, individuals are afflicted, and they have no relief. They come to the point they gnawed their tongues because of, because of pain. They, they're, they're willing to inflict self-harm because the pain that they can afflict, uh, abiding their, their tongues, gnawing their tongues, inflicting pain on themselves, removes some of the pain. It takes their mind off some of the pain that, that's, that's coming from the, from the judgment. And they blaspheme God, the God of heaven, because of their, their pain. And don't miss that because they're, they're blaming him. Do you see that? 
They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores. They're blaming him. And before they knew he had power to stop it, and now they're blaming him for for bringing it. And that's exactly what I did before I came to Christ. I blamed God. And I blasphemed and I spoke untruths about him. And we're tempted to do that. Why did you let this happen to me? What did I ever do to deserve this? After all I've done for you, God, you'll do this to me. Didn't I read the Bible this morning? Haven't I been faithful? (laughs) Very small way compared to what they're doing here. And all of those evil blasphemies toward the good God who is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt any man. There is nothing that ever comes in this world that's evil that comes from God. You cannot blame him for your sin or for any evil whatsoever. He doesn't tempt men with evil. He can't be tempted by evil, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't tempt anyone. And we have no one to blame, and they have no one to blame for their judgment but, but themselves. Well, um, the sixth bowl and the seventh bowl we'll save for the next time. And that's the battle of, of, of Armageddon. And after God gathers them all in a place, he softens them up before the Lord Jesus Christ breaks the sky. King of kings and Lord of lords. And now I have, I'm back to where I started. I have those dual things in my heart because I want to say even so come Lord Jesus I can't wait for him to come and then in my heart I also know that people are going to perish and so I want them to be saved don't you I do let's pray